5151 is the text. You can tweet the programme at RTE Arena. It's Thursday evening and so the first movie night of 2022 is upon us on the slate this evening. The 355 starring Jessica Chastain, Diane Kruger, Lupita Nyong'o and Penelope Cruz in a spy caper which unites an unlikely group of women as they try to, you guessed it, save the world. Boiling Point is a one-take wonder starring the always watchable and always intense Stephen Graham as an under-pressure London chef enduring the dinner service of his nightmares. And the documentary Ailey tells the story of choreographic pioneer Alvin Ailey, whose groundbreaking work put American-African contemporary dance on the map. Well, those are the three movies that we will be talking about, the contemporary releases that we'll be talking about shortly. But before that, let's go back a bit in time. Then if you ain't my pa, I want my tuna dollars. Okay. I want my tuna dollars. I heard you through the door talking that man. It's my money you got and I want it. Mm-hmm. You just hold on a second. I want my money. You took my tuna dollars. Will you quiet down? You hear? I want my tuna dollars. Hold on. Just hold on. Let me explain something to you. It ain't as if you was my pa, that'd be different. Well, I ain't your pa, so just get that out of your head. I don't care what those neighbor ladies said. I look like You that. don't look nothing like me. You don't look any more like me than... Then you do that Coney Island. Eat that damn thing, you hear? We got the same jaw. Lots of people got the same jaw. It's possible. No, no, it ain't possible. And I want my tuna dollars. All right. All right, maybe we got the same jaw. But same jaw don't mean same blood. I know a woman looks like a bullfrog, but that don't mean she's the damn thing's mother. You met my mom in a bar room. For God's sakes, child. You think everybody gets met in a bar room gets a baby? It's possible. Anything is possible, but possible don't make it true. And I want my money! Will you quiet down? You know what the trouble is with you? You've got no appreciation. All right. Maybe I did get a little money from that man. And you're entitled to that. But I'm entitled to my share for getting it for you, ain't I? And where do you think you'd be without me? You think them folks would spend a penny to send you east? No, sir. But who got you a ticket to St. Joe? Who got you a knee-high in a Coney Island? And threw in $20 extra. Not to mention 85 cents for that telegram. You wouldn't have had any of that without me. Now, I didn't have to take you, but I took you, didn't I? All right, I think that's fair enough. We're both a little better off. You get to St. Joe, I get myself a little better car. Fair is fair. Now, drink your knee-high and eat your Coney Island. want my $200. Tatum O'Neill and Ryan O'Neill there in a scene from Paper Moon. Ryan as Moses Prey, Tatum as Addie Ogans. One a con artist, the other a young girl who's the daughter of a woman who's just passed away. Set in the Midwest of the Depression era, Paper Moon was directed by Peter Bogdanovich and the death of Peter Bogdanovich was announced earlier today. Before we get into the the, uh, reviews then of the contemporary releases, Donald Clark, I suppose it is a film, it's Paper Moon, it's the last picture show, it's What's Up Doc. When we think of Peter Bogdanovich, is that what we're really going to remember and think about? I think inevitably that those are the films that we'll talk about when we talk about films. But I think the thing to remember about Peter Bogdanovich was he was so much more than that. In a sense, he had the archetypal career for a certain type of director who revolutionized Hollywood in the late 1960s and early 1970s. Or perhaps it'd be more accurate to say that he created that archetype or maybe moved it from France to the United States. He was a critic and a programmer. Uh, like Coppola and Scorsese, he had an encyclopedic knowledge of film uh, like those two directors early on he worked with the maestro of trash roger corman who's incidentally is still with us at 95 good luck to you roger um he made the brilliant targets for corman in 1968 
And then, as you say, he went on to a a, a blissful run of three films, the Fordian uh, moving um, uh, nostalgic The Last Picture Show, which spoke of a passing era, which was demonstrated him at his best in that in that it had enormous um, respect for classic golden era Hollywood, but was also stunningly new at that stage. It felt like a fresh new sort of film. Um, it was uh, Orson Welles who told him to shoot it in black and white, and that was you know unfashionable mm. then, and it became a, a great critical hit. Uh, then What's Up the Bit of Paper Moon, and then it all went a bit wrong. Um, after that, um, he separated from his wife and collaborator, Polly Platt, who had a lot to do with those films. Um, Daisy Miller in 74 was a flop. Uh, at Long Last Love was laughed at a ton. Then there was the awful tragedy um, of his girlfriend, Dorothy Stratton's murder in 1980. But he was a survivor. Um, he continued to write books. He made a few decent films. I met him a few times. And he was very entertaining. Mm. He was very proud of his impersonations. <laughs> if he was telling you a story about Cary Grant, he would insist upon doing all the Cary Grant quotes as Cary Grant. And similarly with John Ford. Uh, and was, it, was, he, was he right to be proud of them? Oh, I think so. Yes, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, he, I mean, he actually had a very distinguished career, and that includes the latter period. Although the films did not shine as much as they did in the late sixties and early nineteen seventies, I mean, he continued to do a lot of great work. He wrote great books. Um, his last notable achievement was probably um, supervising the assembly of Orson Welles' unfinished last film, The Other Side of the Wind, um, which you can yeah. find uh, on Netflix. It's a bit of a mess, but and he's, he's also in it, I should say. But who would be without it? Yeah, and, and, and it was very important too in terms of organising retrospectives for John Ford, Howard Hawkins and Alfred Hitchcock, uh, yeah. Hitchcock as well. But that is Peter Bogdanovich. We, we might talk about him later again in the programme. But let us turn our attention now to the films of 2022. Uh, Donald is with us, obviously, as is Gemma Cray. And as I said, uh, the 355 Boiling Point and Ailey are the three movies we'll be talk about, uh, talking about. We'll start with the 355 Um Give us the basic setup here. I suppose, Gemma, the stars are all female. Are they making a point here? Um, are, are they doing something new with the spy genre, if you like? Or are we seeing women playing men's roles or what might be thought of as men's roles? Um, I think the actual film itself sticks very, very neatly to the spy genre template and doesn't really veer off what you'd expect. I was, I, I kind of had said, you kind of play spy film bingo and, and, and you'd have a full house relatively quickly with with all the, the sort of cliches you'd expect to see in a film like this. There's, a, it, meanwhile, at the same time, it's not like their characters are just flipped from male to female. Like they're mm. very distinctively written, well-rounded, have good intricate relationships that are, are kind of are complex within the group dynamic and then within their their home lives as well. So, um, but the setup is is totally what you would expect from yeah. a, a spy thriller. Like we're we're talking about uh, city hopping chases, a doomsday device, like everything that yeah. that you'd kind of satisfactory as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and quite a quite a stellar cast really that we have here, uh, Donald, in, in terms of um, yeah, Jessica Chastain, Diane Kruger is there, Penelope Cruz is there, Lupita Nyong'o. It, is a st- it really is quite a cast of actors. Uh, two Oscar winners there, a few nominees. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> Look, uh, 
this was certainly not the intent, but the unveiling of plans for the 355 at Cannes in 2018, I mean, to me, just suggested those cheesy action flicks like the Wild Geese and the Sea Wolves in the 70s, the ones where Richard Harris and Richard Burton would take time off for lowering the EC wine lake to fire blanks on rugged cliff faces. In the sense, I mean, that's a little unfair. This is a better film than oh. those films, or is it? But the films exist just because the stars agreed to appear in them, which is never a good way to launch a project. Um, this film exists because Jessica Chastain, Bang Bang Bing, Vijay Nyong'o, Penelope Cruz, and initially Marion Cotillard um, uh, turned up to Cannes and said, we want to be in this film. We want to uh, uh, do the sort of films that uh, men have been doing for forever. Not one thing I would say, men aren't really doing these films anymore. <laughs> I mean, if they are doing them, they're doing them for Netflix. Yeah. Um, but we're in a situation now where, given the old Fast and Furious film, which is actually kind of multiracial and multigender, Fast and Furious, there are plenty of female characters in that, you don't actually see that many films like this anymore starring women. Right. But it was the actors um, who addressed right. the media and Corsette. It was them who made this happen. Nobody is going to this film to hear about the hunt for a digital MacGuffin that can blow, blow up the world. Um, they go because these actors were yeah. there, and that's not enough. They right. have not come up with an, with another good reason to see this film. Well, let's listen to two two of those actors in the, in this clip. Lupita Nyong'o as Khadija intervenes as the peacemaker between Jessica Chastain's Miss and Diane Kruger's Marie. Pull the trigger, kill each other. Listen, I get it. You keep botching each other's ops. I'd be pissed off too, but the only way we're going to accomplish anything is if we join forces. Are you crazy? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. We have a common enemy. I'm just suggesting you lower the guns long enough for us to sort this out and get on with it. Who are you? Khadija, MI6. Marie, you've met me. How do you know my name? We're spies, asshole. There we go, Lupita Nyong'o, Jessica Chastain, and Diane Kruger in a scene there from the three five five. That is, uh, that's three of them getting together. It takes them a long time, you know. Look, you're all going to get together and, and join forces. It takes them a long time to do that, Donald. It really does. And help me out here. Um, in the trailer, they mention what the three five five means right at the top and talk us through this history of a spy in the American War of Independence, I think. Mm. Am I right in saying that, that that information does not appear here until a parenthetical mention right at the end? Uh, I, I don't actually know because I didn't get <laughs> I, I didn't get to the very end of the film yet. Uh, I'm, I'm still about, I'm about an hour and a half in. And I understand that. Gemma, can, Gemma, can you tell us? Yeah, no, it is just mentioned kind of like as an afterthought <laughs> at the end. <laughs> just to explain Gemma, it. They don't even say we're called the 355, do they? No. Like, in the trailer, yeah. they, give, they give the impression that they are the 355, that they've named themselves after the spy from the American War of Independence. But they don't say yeah. that here. It's a weird title which gets thrown away in what sounds like a hasty rewrite. So in terms of the characters that we do get, Gemma, uh, do they rise beyond being simply types? I think I think that's the thing that this film does manage to get um, authentically right. So we have um, Khadija, who you mentioned, who's sort of given up the rat race of espionage um, to kind of settle down and um, be an academic and, and, and talk at um, and, and kind of like she's a, a cybersecurity specialist. So she's focusing on that now and, and has given up the rat race. And I do think that is... 
um, sort of a more realistic way. Another thing that they do that's quite funny is the reverse fridging. So at the beginning... Um, Explain fridging to us. Oh, so, so fridging <laughs> is um, when a, a female character gets um, injured, raped or killed um, or depowered in some way to, to kind of prolong the male protagonist's uh, mm. motivation. And they, they do that at the beginning. They kind of kill off or... Um, like various char- male characters in order to uh, set up the the story for the, the 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 women that are that are eventually going on this big mission, which is which is sort of a refreshing reversal, but it is just a pure reversal. Yeah, I would say to him as well. But what I also quite liked, which goes to what you're talking about, is that there was this interesting thing where. You know the terrible wife parts you get. You've got in action films, well, forever, basically for a hundred years in Hollywood cinema, but particularly in action films, the eighties and nineties, often played by Anne Archer, people like that, who go, "Oh, don't leave me here alone when you're off fighting crime." They have a few kind of like terrible husband parts in this, which yeah. I liked. I thought, fair enough, you know. Yeah, but they're also uh, terrible, terrible wife parts, and that were almost worth accidental satire. Yeah, but but the, the dude need then to have in I wasn't sure why they needed to do this with Penelope Cruz. So the the, the three women the Jessica Chastain, Lupita Nyong'o and Diane Kruger, they're they're married to their careers. They're very happy to be spies. But let's listen to a clip featuring Penelope Cruz uh, and and how they were trying to persuade her who's not a who's not a spy, we think at any rate when we meet her first. Um, and this is how they try to persuade her to get involved in the action. Come on, let's go. Oh, no, I'm not going with you. I'm going home. But we can't do this without your fingerprints. That is not my problem. Oh, it is if you want to keep them attached to your body. I'm sorry, I have a family. I'm not an agent, I'm a therapist. And this is really not for me. All right, Graziella, we're the only ones who can prevent that from happening. Sorry. Okay, how about this? Those same guys are out there right now looking for you. You go home, you bring them with you. Graziella, we really need your help. But more importantly, you need ours. There you go, Penelope Cruz and Jessica Chastain trying to persuade her in that uh, clip from the 355. So does it work overall, Gemma, and stars from you? Um, I thought it was simple, fun and well-paced and there was just enough meat in it to keep you going for the two uh, hours. So uh, three, and a, three, three and a half stars. Three and a half. What are you saying overall, Donald? I'm much less generous. Um, I, I thought I said only existed because the stars were, were, were prepared to do it. Uh, I would I would say that in terms of who comes out of it best, I think oddly Diane Kruger comes out of it best, I thought, who actually replaced Marion Cotillard. She seems most comfortable with the action scenes. Uh, and I think Pearl Penelope Cruz, I think you're is set up for a comic role. Mm. Um, which she does, which she could do very well. She's got, she's, a, she's a great comic timing, but then it doesn't develop. She just kind of ends up sitting at the corner of the scene weeping. Um, so no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with two. Sticking with two. Let's move on then to Boiling Point from director Philip Barantini. Film was shot in one take. Brings us through an eventful dinner service at the busy London re- at a busy London restaurant. Stars Stephen Graham as a chef under pressure, no matter where he turns. Um, Chef Andy is the part played by Stephen Graham here. He's under pressure from all types of angles and we're used to seeing Stephen Graham in that type of setup. It's an unusual world, though, for Stephen Graham to be in, I thought, Gemma. 
Um, I don't know. He brings his own kind of special bottled intensity to literally anything that he could do. If he was yeah. working in a garage, he would yeah. sell those Snickers bars with with fierce intensity. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he's the head chef and he's um, pushed to the brink. When we meet him, he's on an emotional phone call to his son and his strange partner and he arrives into work to a fairly unsuccessful food safety inspection. And I think as you're watching um, this, you realise... The, the filmmaker or writer or both of this has worked in the industry because it's just dripping with these beautiful gleaming details um, and and truthfulness and authenticity about about the various stresses that people do. So this um, is a very kind of intense food safety inspection and it's clear from the outset that Andy Jones has sort of let the side down. Um, he hasn't kind of completed his paperwork and starts off with two staff missing, food shortages, and it only goes downhill from there. And the one long take aspect of things here, we've got lots of handheld camera and a real improvisatory feel to to lots of the dialogue going on. It's always the initial question, isn't it, around something like this, Donald? Is it a gimmick or does it yeah. add something? Does it give something to the telling of the story? That's a fair question, I think. I mean, you know, uh, Eisenstein um, perfected montage a hundred years ago. Why, why have we abandoned the advantages that that um, that technique gives a filmmaker? Uh, so yes, I think if you're talking about a genuine single take feature like this, or even a pseudo um, uh, single take feature like, for example, Sam Mendes in seven, 1917, I think it's reasonable to ask: Is this not just a gimmick? I think here it's not. I think they make a good case for. It's not a genre, is it? You can't really call it a genre, but for the technique, shall we say. Um, in that, you get a real sense of the frantic stress that underlies such operations. I mean, that comes from the fact that we're in real time as much as anything else. But having it a single take really emphasizes the fact that it is real time. I think the moment you cut, you think, are we still in real time? Have we moved back a second yeah. or forward a second or whatever? And that, I think, is um, it, that really does get across. Now, I think there are some issues. There are always some issues with this approach. I mean, I can live with... Uh, some of the lighting issues. So you move from really sharp kitchen shots to underlit restaurant and then to positively sepulchral uh, exterior at one point. Um, that's okay. I can live with that. More nagging, and this often happens with these films, is sense that a little too much is happening in too narrow a time. So what I mean by that is that um, uh, Andy is stressed by the arrival of a celebrity chef, but by Jason Fleming, who we should mention is the villain, also in 355. Mm. Um He's in dispute over parenting. A health inspector, it's impossible not to think of faulty towers in that scene, is here to knock a few points off their rating. And one particularly implausible moment where I thought, no, you could, I mean, honestly, you could you could actually rewrite this so, so, this, so that the story works out in, 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 slower. Is it, they phone an ambulance and the ambulance arrives in what seems like two minutes. You know, there's a, there's a mm. crisis which will spoil. They phone an ambulance and it's there. And that's like, well, but anyway. Basically, I'm going to say no matter. Yeah. I, it doesn't really matter to me. Those are kind of like pedantic observations that I've made because in my head I'm thinking, should this be a one-take film? Does it justify it? But the careering nature of the filmmaking really, I mean, to be honest, gives you all this little time to, pot, to ponder that overstuff right. uh, plotting. Yeah. Uh, screenplay, a lot to say about the chaos that sits behind all ordered workplaces. And in particular, I really like the fact that one of the messages of this film is that the general public are awful. Yeah, the customers um, are pretty, anybody... pretty nice. Let's have a listen to, let's have a listen to a clip from Boiling Point. Um, and if, if, things are going bad for various reasons in the restaurant. But the biggest problem that he has at this moment in time is that his old boss, Alistair, played by Jason Fleming, shows up with a restaurant critic called Sarah, played by Lord Faber. And... Um, he, immediately, he, he's going, well, why didn't you tell me you were coming? Just Mate, 
cook well, whatever you want. Well, if I'd known you was coming, do you know what I mean? I'd have made sure. When did Mate, you we're the good guys. The good guys. When did you book? Uh, the book is coming in, what's it, uh, February, the February 23rd, 24th. No, 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 not when, not when, when did you book, when did, when did you book to come here? Sorry. Uh, we booked two days ago, but I phoned you and texted you and you didn't get back, but sorry. It's cool, it's fine. But we listen, we're here to support you. Yes, and right? um, you know, just, you don't need my endorsement, so don't worry about that. Great, have a little, have a little Such look a buzz in this place. It's yeah, great. no, it's, you know, it's busy. Huh? It's busy tonight. Yeah, very busy. I'm busy. Yeah, super busy with the uh, TV stuff and everything. It's gone mental. But, I mean, yeah, it's been amazing. I mean, the show's rocketing. Yeah, I saw one episode. Not the only one that saw one episode. There's seven million, seven million people watch it, so, you know, full series. <laughs> Must be doing something right. Yeah, no. This menu is, 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 I could, I recognise all of this stuff. I mean, this is, this is, this is all my dishes. I mean, I love the way it's on a bit of paper, but there's the, uh, the duck with the soy. Yeah, that was my dish. Stephen Graham there in a scene from, uh, Boiling point, the second of our three films this evening. Uh, Gemma, it is it is very much depends on this ensemble improvisatory feel that we got we got a sense of in that clip. Did anybody stand out for you and stars? Um, I thought all the cast. Um, considering that this was one take, mm. every every even bit character, every small character had a relationship with every single other small character, and you got a sense of that. Like it is an insular world, but it it's so well realized. Um, I, I I thought again, even the smallest of actors deserved a, a role. Even Lord, as um, she had, she was like a tiny little role in that, but she was fully rounded and had like a little mini arc. So I I actually thought this was uh, the the best film of the night. Um, I'm actually giving it four and a half stars, and a, a very intense. And for anyone, a, a trigger warning for anyone who's ever worked in customer service or probably in a restaurant, because it'll bring back. To, traumatic memories. All right. And stars finally from you, uh, uh, Donald. I agree. Cast is excellent. Vanette Robinson is particularly good as a sous chef. Also, it's a very interesting point which the the screenplay completely swivels around your attitude towards one character, I think is very interesting. And uh, I won't say any more than that, but you you think something Mm. of that character swivels around and you think something entirely different, which is very good writing. Uh, I'm giving it a healthy four. A healthy four. Let's move on then to Ailey, um, new documentary from Jamila Wignott. Uh, about the man behind the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theatre, visionary choreographer whose goal was to express the African-American experience through contemporary dance. Just give us uh, uh, the context of Alvin Ailey, who he was and what he achieved in his choreographic life, Gemma. Um, So he was um, deeply renowned. He was a man who was born in Texas in the 1930s um, under Jim Crow laws um, to a a single mother. He moved to um, New York, I think in 1954, and and started working there as a a dancer. So he was a black queer man. The, the, The stacks for totally stacked the odds were totally stacked against him and he made um, he started his own dance company in 1958 and in 1960 he wrote um, his seminal piece uh, Revelations which is a modern um, dance classic that's mm. still performed to this day that toured the world that um, put him on the map that put modern dance on the map and really really told the story of um, the black experience in, in rural America mm. um, in, in a way that that 
the humanity is undeniable at a time when civil rights were <laughs> yeah. were a huge issue. Um, so, and, like, and we see archive clips of several different 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 performances, including um, of of revelations, and and that's how the documentary is kind of told to us, Donald. We have at, at one level this archive material. And we have talking heads, former members of the dance company, but we also have a, a contemporary, a, a present day moment of a, a, a piece, an homage piece that's been made yeah. to Alvin Ailey. It, it kind of, it's a, an unusual way to tell the documentary story. We do. I mean, yes, we have that. And also we have contemporary uh, interviews who um, editorialise on his role. And um, mm. they don't, it's not, not a hagiography. They offer some criticism of him. Um, I was divided. I mean, I, it's always a treat to have your eyes opened about a cultural figure about whom you know something, but not enough. Um, and I knew a bit uh, about him, but not an enormous amount. Um, so I was delighted to have many of those gaps filled out, even though it is, as we said, quite a conventionally structured documentary. It does have this modern section with with a dance being organised in his style and tribute to him. But mostly it's archival footage and talking heads. And his own interviews, uh, Eddie's own interviews, serve as a kind of semi-official narration. Yeah. He's sort of this sort of semi-voiceover in that sense. Yet, there's so much missing here. That was my feeling. I, that may be because she has kept the film economically short, which is yes. never a bad thing. But I really wanted to hear about the mechanics of the art. What techniques did he pioneer? I mean, in terms of the actual right. choreography. So and overall, then you, you feel, feel as if you wanted more, which is you know, maybe is a good I thing. Did, How does that, what, what does that mean in terms of stars from you, Donald? Well, I wanted more Laura Nairo. That's what I say. The brief bit of Laura Nairo. Tell me more about the Laura Nairo collaboration. Um, I'm going to give it, only give it three, I have to say, which I feel a bit mean about, but I, I did think it left too many gaps. And what did you think, Gemma? Um, I actually thought that there was a, a beautiful pace to it. I completely agree that there was so much missing. Like, he, he was such a fascinating figure, but he was also a deeply private man, so I wonder, was it hard mm. to, to gather stuff? But... I don't know. I, I give it three and a half because I actually think in, in itself it's it's a beautiful um, piece of editing. Of, of It's a beautiful kind of compilation. There's a gorgeous flow to it. So yeah. I think yeah. that that's probably bumped it up a little for me. Yeah, so three and a half you're saying there overall, Gemma, and certainly some great archive material in there just to see the dances themselves. That's uh, Gemma Cray and Donald Clark there speaking to us about the 355, which goes on general release in cinemas tomorrow. Boiling Point will be at the Lighthouse in Dublin and the Palos in Galway. And Ailey is released on demand tomorrow.